welcome to the fourth episode of Inside the Growing Mind, Westminster's podcast about giving you the tools and techniques to help children grow healthy, resilient brains. This is our first episode of 2020. I'm so excited. We have our head of upper school with us today, Cindy Trask, as well as Dion Davis, one of our upper school learning strategists. They're going to give us a little insight into a class they taught during Jan term this year. Jan term is a really exciting time here at Westminster where every upper schooler has three weeks to take a special topics class with lots of field trips and guest speakers. Cindy, Dion, thanks so much for being here with us today. What's one thing about teaching this class or one thing about the students that stood out to you? Well, I will start. So thanks thanks for having us and, and great opportunity for us to talk about the class and the students. I think I think what stands out for me um, is the growth that the students have over the course of the three weeks that we have with them. So we know they sign up for a particular reason, and, and it's really um, wonderful to sort of see that growth um, over the three weeks. Again, thank you for having us. Um, I would say that finding happiness is not intuitive. It's something that you really have to put some effort into. You think of happiness as a place or a destination. But I really think that happiness is a journey. And through this class, they, they've learned some ways to approach that journey. And Cindy, if you don't mind, since we do have some listeners who aren't necessarily affiliated with Westminster, what is this Jan term we keep talking about? This class that we taught was based on the work of Professor Lori Santos, who created, um, you know, really what's been called the most popular course in the history of Yale University, the psychology of the good life. Uh, and the fact that her class was so popular suggested that you know students are really craving information and strategies on how to be less stressed, less anxious, and happier. Um, I actually took Professor Santos's class online through Coursera and thought, you know, everyone can benefit from learning this information. I think it's easy for everyone at Westminster to think everyone's getting perfect grades, everyone's loving their extracurriculars and feeling happier than you are. Um, but this class proves that you know that really is an illusion. And if you are unhappy, you're not alone. Um, happiness is something that's worth working at. It's a huge portion of your well-being, uh, and a lot of that is under your own control. Um, there are strategies that you can learn, uh, and, and so I think that that is, is sort of the piece for our students, why it's applicable that uh, we're all in this together. Absolutely, and I would just add to what Cindy said. Um, when we think about how we compare ourselves to others, we explore a concept called reference points which I think is huge for our students, but it allows them to see that we are all in the same boat. We all have something going on. Life is not as, you know, peachy as social media and other uh, media outlets suggest that it might be. Absolutely. So we have this three-week course. It's all day, every day, all about happiness. How did you structure that course? Well, you know, the first part, we, we want to actually give some of the science behind this work as well as the practical strategies that students can work on. So we share a lot of information that debunks the notions of happiness. So the idea that good grades, awesome stuff, lots of money, um, you know, what Tim Wilson at the University of Virginia and Dan Gilbert at Harvard call miswanting. So the act of kind of being mistaken about what and how much, um, you know, things are going on and what you're doing right now are going to make you happy in the future. So that's a big problem for all of us. Our brains kind of deliver to us this idea that we want certain things, um, but we're actually wrong about that. We're constantly as I was saying, miss wanting. So then we pack in um, scientifically tested methods to actually improve well-being. Uh, and so by the time the students complete the course, 
we are hoping that they're not going to just be happier, but also have a variety of tools that enable them to take control of their happiness. Um, because above all, we think that's probably why they signed up to take the class in the first place. I think it would be really helpful for our audience to maybe walk through these ways to rewire your brain. I would love for our listeners to be able to try out some of these things if you don't mind sharing your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to. <laughs> and we, we work on these. We actually do them with the students Absolutely. during the three weeks. So, Dion, I don't know if you want to start with one. and Sure. So one of the things that we would start daily with was a daily sort of centering activity and intention setting. And often we would follow that up with meditation. So meditation, mindfulness, they're not the same, but it is a state of exploring, exploring your thoughts, exploring your surroundings, just being one with yourself. And the science shows that it improves concentration and improves your mood and it decreases your mind wandering. It's not easy. It is a difficult task to do because we spend so much time thinking about everything. What do you have for dinner? What am I going to do after work? What am I going to do here? What, you know, what homework do I have? There's so many things that we spend so much time thinking about. When you sit down and really meditate, it allows you just to center yourself and refocus. We took a field trip to a location called Lardison Muse. It's a yoga studio coupled with mindfulness, and it's also an apothecary. Um, so the students had a, an hour-long mindfulness activity where they are either laying down or seated Indian style. They are told to feel their body parts, feel your heart beating inside of your chest, feel your toes, wiggle your toes, you know, move your neck around, just understand how your body is working in tandem. And then they're asked to focus, focus on something, whatever that may be. So it was an opportunity for our students to really experience it in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that was followed by tea and really good social connecting. You know, they were just sitting around the, the shop and they were quiet, but it was almost, it was surreal. Like the way that they were able to just be calm and quiet and we stepped back and watched them interact with each other. It was, it was really a nice experience for them. What are some of the other rewirements that, you guys went over in the class. Uh, I think one of the things that we really, really enjoyed with the students, because particularly with you know younger teenagers, the idea of social connections, mm -hmm. and you know we know that close re uh, relationships may be the most filling and, and keep us grounded, but our sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves and serving others is, is also a really you know important predictor of happiness. So what we ask the students to do is to make one new social connection every day. So it can be a small, you know, five-minute conversation, you know, sort of with somebody in the lunch line, um, asking a peer about his or her day, or, you know, even chatting with, you know, sort of the cashier at the grocery store or someone at the coffee shop, someone that they don't know. Uh, and, and that's a little intimidating for them at first, so they sort of look at us and go, oh, gosh, you know, but we say, no, that's part of your homework, so come back and tell us how that went, one person every single day. And then we also ask them to seek out more meaningful social connections, too, so so take a whole hour to connect with somebody that they care about, a friend who's far away or a family member they haven't talked to in a while. Uh, and the key is that they have to take the time needed to genuinely connect with that person. Um, so they list the social connection that they make and how that made them feel. They talk about that um, with us in the class and then they also journal. But those social connections, as we know, particularly as we age, um, are very, very important to our health and well-being. I also shared the work of um, 
Robert Waldinger, who's the director of the Harvard Second Generation Study, which is a really interesting longitudinal study, but has lots of metrics and data to, to show the implications, particularly for people as they age, how social connection is almost more important than anything else you could imagine in terms of being healthy, whether it be diet, sleep, and whatnot. So it helps them sort of think generationally as well in their family of how those social connections and keeping in contact with family members really is also about helping them stay healthy and connected um, to each other. Yeah, what does having even those casual conversations and connections, I mean, what can that do for an adult, for anybody, you know, to take that time to just make a little small talk with someone. As humans, we're wired, you know, from our evolutionary history to to want to sit together and share stories and be together in social uh, connections and have these social connections. So I think it's very important um, to our sense of well-being. And uh, we, we certainly see that with our students. Social media, you know, sometimes gets... Um, sort of a bad reputation, sort of separating ourselves from each other. So one of the things, you know, asking them to to give up social media also for two or three days helps them, you know, make more of those face-to-face connections. So the two sort of work in tandem with each other. I'd love to hear more about how the kids reacted to that social media fast and how they approached that. That was, you know, I know the day that I announced it, I mean, I knew, you know, this was the work, the homework that we were going to have. And so I was really sort of gauging their faces and looking around the room as, as I was telling them, you know, what we were hoping and expecting them to do. And there was a sense of, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, you a little bit of a surprise. What? <laughs> How long? So there, there really is a sense of, you know, partnership in what does that look like for you? And I would say for most of our students on that first day, they wanted to negotiate to like 15 to 20 minutes of use, which we thought was great. Absolutely. You know, again, sort of thinking about, and then they started planning ahead as to what their lives were going to look like for the next three days and the things that they wanted to be in touch with and in contact with. But as they made their plans, then coming in that next day and saying, this was how I felt without being tied to Instagram all day or TikTok or TikTok right (laughs) and I was so much more productive in the time and that um, you know I could actually talk to my friends about what was going on and they could fill me in if I wasn't using social media myself but we were having a conversation but there was a sense of sort of shock um, you know amongst the group when they were like you want us to to do what and even Mm -hmm. for ourselves I mean Mm -hmm. how do we Mm -hmm. you know participate in that and say that we're you know going to be giving up as well so what was was interesting I'm sorry go ahead what was interesting is that the students became accountability partners Mm -hmm. for one another so one might put a password on their access and you know they're texting I need my password I need my password nope you're on fast (laughs) so that was really good too so that 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 piece, I think, was benefiting them. <laughs> right. Well, so I've heard you guys mention a couple times journaling and other kinds of reflection. What role did that play in the class? And does that play a role in absorbing some of these experiences when you're trying to control your happiness? Absolutely. So journaling is one of the requirements. And it's a way to record your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So when you're on a high and you're journaling, when you get to that low, you're able to reflect back on it, look back through that journal and see where you are. If you're on a low, you can go back to that journal and say, you know what, I was doing things this way and it kind of helped me stay on a high. For our students, we supplied them with a journal. And so every day they had to do something in their journal. So the first thing they had to do was intention setting. And that could have been, I'm going to focus today. I'm going to clean my room today. Whatever their intention was, they had to write that down. I saw a recent study that it improves your immune function, like your lungs and your liver. 
Hmm. It helps keep your memory sharp. It improves your working memory. It improves your concentration. And it strengthens your emotional functioning. So some added benefits that we Mm -hmm. didn't necessarily explore in the class. But those are certainly areas that we could, you know, benefit from in using that journaling. Anything else? Yeah, and I would say, too, I think, you know, really sort of the gratitude piece in terms of Mm -hmm. journaling, no matter how difficult your day has been, I think what that allows all of us to do is sort of reframe our experiences and asking the students and ourselves every evening to write down four things that we were grateful for. And I know many, you know, folks who are listening to this have probably heard, um, you know, of this exercise before, but it's so powerful because you can always find four things that you're grateful for. And that reframes your whole experience, maybe of the day that you've had, but also the day that is to come. So the journals themselves, I think, very powerful uh, for students to be able to pause, reflect, reframe, um, and reassess. We do the work. Absolutely. I have purchased many journals and they serve different purposes for me. And I can now reflect on them and see different times in my life. Um, For example, when I started this class, Last year, when we piloted it, Mm -hmm. it was a time in my life when I absolutely needed the requirements. Um, And so now to be able to go back and reflect on that, I can actually use the resources and use the tools that we help students, you know, identify and use in my own life. So it's, it's been very beneficial to me. So whether it's journaling or the meditation or calling friends, do you have any tips that have maybe worked in your life for being able to fit some of these things into an already full schedule? So the one that really resonates with me is savoring. And before I even knew about this class, I would always tell my kids because they want to know, what are we doing today? What are we doing tomorrow? What's happening next weekend? And I always tell them, live in the moment. Just live in the moment. Just be where you are right now. If it's in the car, watch what's going on around you. And so just being able to take a step back and not always try to forecast what's next, that has been most meaningful for me. And I would say, I mean, there are a couple of things. I, I certainly um, you know, have come to the realization that the practice of mindfulness is very helpful for me as an individual. It's not an easy practice for me, but it really does help me to center, um, to remain calm and in a busy life, manage the things and the unexpected things that happen um, all the time. But one of the pieces, I think, from the course that has really resonated with me as an individual and as a parent related to the piece with social connections. Um, you know, we, we listened to a, a wonderful podcast about how hearing someone's voice has such a deep impact on their day and their behavior. So as a mother, perhaps sending a text message to my son or my daughter to say, I'm thinking of you today, good luck with that interview, it is so much more impactful for them to actually hear a voice. So I've become much more deliberate in sending a voice message, which can, which can be annoying sometimes to millennials, um, but or calling them up, but making those you know, connections where they're actually hearing from me. And I just now also appreciate the, you know, the recipient of that, hearing someone reach out, connecting to me, their voice, that knowledge that they care. So that that was a pretty powerful piece of, yes, text messages are wonderful, but actually hearing your mother, your father's voice, someone who is close to you, really can be scientifically proven to have an impact and, and affect your day in a positive, happy way. I'd love to talk more about this idea of savoring. What exactly does that mean in the context of this class? So if you think about your five senses, you're able to savor with each of them. So if music is a love for you, 
you start to really listen to the music. You can hear the instruments even. You can hear sounds and songs that you never heard before. But there's a real appreciation for it. We had a chef, uh, Chef Megan, come out to do some mindful eating. She explained everything that we were eating, Mm -hmm. um, the benefits of it, the oils, the butters, things like that. Anything that you can use your senses to do, you can savor. Sensory. Olfaction is said to be one of the strongest senses. So when you smell apple pie, it may take you back to your grandmother's house. If you smell mothballs, it may take you back to your grandmother's house. It could be a cologne. It could be anything. So one of the activities that we did with them was candle making. They were able to custom um, design what their candles. One would look like they did a custom label for it from the happiness class. They also were able to design the scents that they wanted to do so they could custom blend those to whatever their specification was. And the idea was you keep one and you give a gift of the other one to someone else with a note attached. And it was really interesting when you had the chef come in to, you know, Chef Megan with our students sort of thinking about what they were eating and, and to see them sort of all lining up around bean hummus, which seeing <laughs> teenagers after they had sort of made it and then were eating it and savoring it and talking about the flavors that they were able to um, discern was really just, you know, incredible. Mm-hmm. So so just reminding, I think, as Dion was saying, to, to just pause, savor those moments um, that really can make us happy. Absolutely. <laughs> Growing up, my grandmother had a sign in her kitchen that said, half our life is spent trying to find something to do with the time we rush through life trying to save. <laughs> and that has stuck with me. She hasn't lived in that house in 20 plus years. But that little saying in her Mm -hmm. kitchen has stuck with me all these years and so that to me says it's time to savor it's time to appreciate it's a time to express gratitude for the things that you have yeah and it strikes me that this one is really about the physical sensory world it's not all about just changing your inner monologue right well, and try this sometime, you know, as, as you're thinking, one of the exercises we have, and you can use something as simple as a Hershey's Kiss or a raisin, and just take your time. I mean, I'm a chocolate lover, um, but I would say that most of the time I sort of inhale my Hershey Kisses. <laughs> but if you sort of let the chocolate melt on your tongue and you start to really enjoy the flavors, um, it's just an interesting exercise. Mm-hmm. Now, and it's hard to sort of just slow down and, um, you know, let those flavors sort of, um, you know, be, come into that sense of awareness. So it's uh, it's a fun activity, but it also shows you how quickly you rush through most of the things that you eat during the course of a day. Did the kids find it difficult to do that slowing down? They and did. They, they, did. Did. <laughs> they did. It was interesting when, when we did the Hershey Kiss activity, you know, I asked the question, what did you taste first? Did you pop the cap off of your um, Hershey Kiss? Did you turn it upside down? Like, how did you approach it? And that was meant for to them, that was meant to help them really savor the experience. Did it taste granular to you? Did it, was it smooth? You know, all of those things. So they were able to kind of really pick it apart. And normally you just pop it in your mouth and you're gone. So, <laughs> And we did have to have a few iterations where they could do it again. Well, I'm going to try it again. Let me, let me do that again and slow down. All right. We talked with some of the students from the happiness class to see what they've learned and what they think they'll be able to apply the rest of the year. I'm so glad I got into this class because I've heard like many good things about it coming into it and knowing that I only have three days left. It's so much more fun than what I expected. Favorite thing probably was going to pajama program 
and helping kids that don't even know what pajamas are, giving them books and pajamas to sleep in. If you give back to the community, it makes yourself more happier than buying yourself something. It's not material things that truly make us happy. Noticing things around you, being present, those are the things that will actually provide you with fulfilling happiness, not material things. And how do you think you're going to bring that into your life after Jan term is over? I'm going to try to inform my friends and other people that I meet about how to actually create happiness for yourself is something that I need to teach other people and that I'm going to try to do that outside of the shanter. If we all practiced meditation or got more sleep and learned about the psychology of the benefits, we would probably do them more instead of just hearing, oh, get more sleep or relax, you know. There's natural happiness and manufactured. And one is the idea that we have in the in our heads of the American dream of getting all your goals and going to your dream college. And we learned that we value as a society natural happiness way more, but manufactured happiness affects us biologically the same way. And we can be just as happy, even more happy, even if we don't have all the goals that we had in mind with money or goods or just general status. I think everyone deserves to be happy and live a happy life. And especially at a school like Westminster, which is really competitive and like causes is like a lot of stress I feel like it's important to like have habits and things that you can do that can make you happy when you're feeling a little bit stressed or overwhelmed just things that you can do just for yourself that can just take you out of the busy schedule and just make time for yourself and like make time to be happy so we've talked about a lot of things we can do during our days but I know from previous conversations with you guys that there is one more big rewirement left to talk about what is that well that would be that would be sleep you know, even though most of us don't get enough sleep, everyone knows um, that sleep is important. So if you've ever dealt with insomnia or a colicky baby, um, everybody knows that uh, an exhausted person is not a happy person. <laughs> so that's not really rocket science, but it is, um, you know, something that we're very concerned about, um, not just at school, but with for all of us uh, in terms of society right now. So with the students, you know, we really get into the science of sleep. We talk about the biology of sleep cycles, um, what it means to be a night owl or a morning lark, your circadian rhythm. We talk about some of the pathologies of sleep disorders. Uh, and then we talk about how being sleep deprived really elevates the risk of things like depression and higher stress levels. You know, Dr. Moore, Anna Moore gives us and the students a really good lesson on sort of the brain itself and the parts of the brain. So we talk to them about how when you're rested, your prefrontal cortex keeps your amygdala in check. So you are in better control of your emotions and how you process your emotions. Uh, and in fact, the amygdala is actually 60% more reactive without quality sleep. So that's rather alarming as the emotional center. So we ask the students to get at least seven hours of sleep for at least three to four nights in a row. Uh, and we also ask them to practice good sleep hygiene too. So no devices before bed, avoiding caffeine, and then, as we've said before, journal about that experience. What does it feel like to be functioning on eight hours of sleep after two to three days? Unfortunately, because Jan's harm is yes. less um, <laughs> academically loaded, it was a perfect opportunity for them mm -hmm. to try it. And so that was one of, the, one of the things that we really wanted them to commit to. That's one thing that I heard from the students when I came in and talked to some of the students toward the end of the class was that they were so grateful to have this opportunity to try these things out when they weren't having as much homework and some other aspects of school life were slowed down a little bit. Did you try to pass along any strategies for keeping these things up as the year went on? All and any of them. 
So whatever you found, their final project was to use one of the requirements to really focus in on one of their signature strengths. Um, we had them do a survey to identify what that strength was and use the requirement to improve that strength. So, for example, if it was spirituality, um, you may choose savoring as your requirement. That's just one example. Um, but we really want them to be able to use any one of the requirements, if not more than one, mm-hmm. to be able to access that happiness. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know, again, in the course, the idea was, and it was, it was kind of interesting, I think, for the students to think, my homework is to get seven hours of sleep, <laughs> savor, and make a social connection. Uh, and so I think making that part of the course allowed them to understand you are trying to develop new habits. And as a human being, it's difficult to always do the right thing. I mean, think of it, you know, getting enough exercise and having a proper diet. As adults, we struggle with that. So the idea is that we've presented them with these opportunities. They've had three weeks to practice. They will have lapses. There will be times when they feel overwhelmed and stressed. But we tell them, go back to your practice. And that is our hope. And we tell them, you know, again, as the adults, we have lapses. But we know the strategies now. We can go back to those strategies and use the ones that really work for us. And, you know, that's our hope. Um, And that the more students, we've had 40-plus students now who have gone through the class, that they are spreading the word, um, you know, throughout the community and that they are also uh, reaping the benefits individually. Why does this course matter to the students who took it? And why does it matter for our school? For our community, again, we are a high-achieving school. And there is a level of anxiety and stress that we see at Westminster, as well as other schools across the country, and certainly at colleges like Yale. Uh, And so I think it's important for us as a community to sort of acknowledge that that is part of the work that we do with wellness and student support, that every child um, should have the opportunity to, to do this work. Um, it's as important as, and I will say this as a science teacher, you know, mm-hmm. understanding um, the periodic table. It's as important uh, as learning to, um, to do calculus. So this is incredibly important work, I think, for the community, the school, and students. One of the things that students talked about in their final projects was the need for a place for them to do meditation or mindfulness or centering. So last week when we started the first semester, I was sitting in the testing center or the learning commons, and I said, hmm, we're not doing anything with the testing center during the second block of the day. This space now becomes our mindfulness centering meditation room. So we're going to have self-guided as well as teacher-guided meditations. And just a place for students to just come and and chill for a bit if they need to just regroup and get themselves together, whether it's before a test or after a test. So for our listeners who are really interested in this or wanting to do some things, employ some strategies to improve their own happiness, their family's happiness... Do you have any resources you'd recommend? I would certainly say, you know, Lori Santos, who we just owe this incredible, um, you know, work to. She, she sort of started this, you know, conversation across the country. Um, she has an, an incredible podcast called The Happiness Lab. So I would strongly suggest that if you're interested, a lot of what we've talked about today, you know, each episode um, that she has in that podcast would allow you to dig a little bit deeper. Um, Dan Gilbert, who wrote Stumbling on Happiness, um, that's a great book uh, and also something that takes a broader view of how these um, principles and habits can impact your life. 
life. Uh, and then Sonia Lubomirovsky, who wrote The How of Happiness. I think those, you know, we rely heavily on, on her work in the class itself, but all very readable. Um, you know, there's some great TED Talks. Robert uh, Waldinger, who did the Harvard uh, Second Generation Study, he's got a great TED Talk that you would probably, I would think, if you're interested in this topic, enjoy listening to. So those are some that I, you know, had on my list, and mm-hmm. there are lots, I think, of others. <laughs> So one of the thing, one of the ones that I would recommend would be Happify.com. You get a daily dose of what makes you happy or how to mm-hmm. access your happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing would be checking out the UPenn site where you can go and find out what your signature strengths are. There are 24 strengths that give you your top four and your bottom four and everything in between. And you can kind of figure out how to make those better, how to strengthen those. It's great, too, because I think the UPenn site also has um, a quiz you know, a survey that you can take that sort of gives you an idea of how happy you are in this moment. And our students did the survey, and then three weeks later they did it again. So you can kind of quantify a little bit mm-hmm. if whether or not you're changing your habits and it's impacting right. how you're actually feeling every day. Those are great. We will link to those in our show notes at westminster.net slash podcast. Cindy, Dion, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. It was great. (laughs) Listeners, go and eat a snack slowly. Savor it. Maybe go call your parents. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And again, if you want to find us online, we're at westminster.net slash podcast. Or you can listen and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. SoundCloud.